when I'm driving somewhere, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm an app user, um, you know, I'm a Google Maps user, and, uh, and we, were, we were driving to Browns Bay yesterday, and on the way we went to pick up Anya's friend, and she lives in Brockville, and so I used, you know, the, the map app for, for me to get there, and if you know anything about uh, Google Maps or Waze or whichever app you use, then you know that the car is represented by this kind of arrow at the bottom of the screen, right? And that's kind of you, that's you in the vehicle. And But this arrow is important because it shows us two things. First, it shows us uh, our location, right? I know that I'm at the bottom of the screen, that that's where I am in relation to the rest of the map. Um, Secondly, it, well, it's not only my location it shows me, it also shows me my direction, right? It shows me uh, that I'm heading in the right way that the arrow's pointing. So when you're trying to make sense of your surroundings, and I think that lots of us, we're, we're heading into a new season, we're heading into school, maybe we're heading into new work, you know, we're heading to, into new phases of life with another life in the household, right? Uh, you know, that there's all these changes. And so it's important for us to know um, what is our location and what is our direction. Now, when we look at our journey of faith, it's a similar thing, right? We need to know our location and our direction, represented by the arrow. And... I'm going to use this stick to help us understand this uh, this morning. So here's God. Okay, this cross represents God, and this is us, our location and our direction. So, for example, you might be uh, locationally close to God, but maybe your direction is starting to point away from him a little bit. You know, you're, you've, you've got... Um, wandering feet, wandering eyes, you know, you're wondering, you're wondering what's over the horizon. Maybe you had a powerful camp experience like we heard this morning from, uh, from, from Emma and from Ari. And so you felt really close to God, but you know that school's coming and you're wondering if you're able to sustain that energy and that love and that closeness. Or maybe you're one of the 20 plus people who've been doing the renewal pathway called The Way over the summer, which has been fantastic. And you've had an amazing time. You've been learning lots of scripture. You've been uh, hearing God speak to you, learning to hear from him speak to you. But now you're wanting to start to ease the foot off the gas pedal a bit. And maybe you know, you're tempted to drift and to maybe go back to how things were before because it's a lot of work to keep close to God. So in that case, your location is good, but your direction isn't the best. And for, and for folks like that, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. On the other hand, maybe you've had a really rough season. Okay, you've, you've been caught up in sinful patterns, you've drifted far from God, and you feel stuck, you feel lonely. In other words, your location is currently far from God. But you're hearing God call you. You're feeling him draw you back. 
and you're starting to respond, you're starting to repent. In this case, your current location isn't great, you're far from God, but your direction is actually hopeful. Or maybe your location and your direction are both good. Right? You're close to God and you want to press into him even more. I know this cross kind of represents God, but actually God just keeps on going and you, you don't ever arrive. So you can press in and press in and press in and, and that never stops. Or maybe your location and your, your direction both need attention this morning. You've been pulling farther and farther away from God and going deeper and deeper into selfishness or into sin or into hopelessness, and you don't want to stop. Your heart's getting, your heart's getting hard. And even if you did want to stop, you, didn't, you don't know how to. And so this morning, I want to ask you, what is your location? You know, the fact that you're in church, sat here, means absolutely nothing, right? You know, the fact that you're watching at home means absolutely nothing. It doesn't mean that you're close to God. It doesn't mean that you're far from God. But what is your location? What is your direction? Are you close to him? Are you distant? Are you moving towards him or are you moving away from him? So to catch up on where we, we're at in the book of Exodus, uh, two weeks ago, Shannon preached on commitment and covenant, uh, that moment when God sets out the covenant with the people of Israel. And Shannon said that a covenant is not a 50-50 contract. It's 100% both parties in, right? And Nathan then painted this wonderful picture of the lengths that God went to in order to dwell with us. He created the tabernacle as a powerful image of, God, of what God's longing is, and that is to be with us, to dwell with us. Exodus 25 verse 8 says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. This is field of dream stuff. Build it, and I will come. And of course, this points forward to Christ dwelling with humanity as a baby, and then points to the Holy Spirit, as Nathan mentioned, in our church verse in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us and building us up in him. But then we fast forward to Exodus chapter 33 verse 7, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 33 verse 7, and uh, it says there, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. But hold on a sec. I thought God was supposed to be in the camp. He was supposed to be in the midst of the camp, in the tabernacle. That was what God's plan was. But now it seems that the place that God is going to meet with people who want to meet with him is outside the camp. He's some distance away, as verse 7 says. He's outside the camp. God has moved. What about you this morning? Are you experiencing the closeness and the intimacy and the power and the infilling of God the Holy Spirit? Or does he feel like he's withdrawn a bit? Moved away. Is he some distance away? Is he outside the camp? 
What about us as a church? What about us here at Cornerstone? Do we feel God moving in our midst? Or is there a bit of a gap? And if there is a bit of a gap, if it feels like God is some distance away, then why is that? And the mystery is actually solved for us in this, in this passage in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. So we have to go back a little bit to find out the reason why God has moved. Exodus 32, verse 1 says this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will, who, who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, I love that. Who is this guy? As for this fellow Moses, we don't even know him. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. In short, the people of Israel had replaced God. So let's all say that together. Israel replaced God. Ready? One, two, three. Israel replaced God. So spiritually speaking, the people of Israel were locationally far from God. And they were directionally moving away from him. They'd replaced him with a younger model. They'd replaced him with a calf, with a cow. But Moses has no idea because he's still up on top of the mountain. So it's kind of like a, a split scene in a movie. You know, this is happening up here and this is happening what's down here. And neither is aware of what's happening in the other scene. So Moses is up this, up this mountain and God gives him a heads up. He says uh, that everything's not well in the camp. In Exodus 32 verse 7, he says, or it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Friends, the people's complaint to God was, you're taking too long. Moses hasn't come down the mountain yet. We're still waiting for him. You're taking too long. That's what the people's complaint to God was. And God's complaint to his people was, you're too quick to turn away. You are too quick to turn away. Right? Friends, God's timeline is not our timeline. Don't be too hasty to replace him, to quit, to turn to other functional saviors, to turn to other idols and to other gods. And so still up on the mountain, God then says to Moses, I will destroy the Israelites and I'm going to start again with you. And Moses says, no, no, God, you can't because it will ruin your reputation and it will make you out to be a God who doesn't keep his word. After all, you made a promise, it says this in the text, you, you, you made a promise to Abraham that he would have loads of descendants, which won't happen, God, if you wipe them all out. And Moses' intercession, Moses' prayer works. Exodus 32 verse 14, Then the Lord relented, and he did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. So Moses heads down the mountain, and he's halfway down the mountain, and he meets... Joshua, and 
He's not really aware of what's going on down. Uh, he can hear stuff going on, but he can't see it because he's halfway up the mountain. And so, so Joshua says, I think that there's maybe like a battle or a war going on. And Moses tells him, no, 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 it's a party. That's what's happening. And then Moses and presumably Joshua, they walk down the mountain far enough so that they're not just hearing what's going on, but they can actually see it with their own eyes. And they, and they see this awful reality of what Moses could previously only hear. And he's so angry that in a fit of rage, he grabs the stone tablets and he smashes them on the ground. And then he wades into the crowd of revelers there at the bottom of the mountain. He shoulders them aside and he grabs that cow, that calf, and he grinds it down into dust. He pours it into water and he says, you've got to drink this. Every single one of you have to drink this. Now, this isn't a, an instantaneous time. This takes time, right? So, but that's what happens. Because what happens when Moses says to them, drink this, you know, this gold dust, is that he's saying to them that this God that you created, tomorrow you're going to be pooing him out of your bum. You're going to be peeing him out. That's what I think of the God that you've just created, which isn't the most politically correct thing we could say, right? But it still doesn't fix things. Because the people have wound themselves up so much, up to the point that they're not seeing sense anymore. You know when you're a kid and you're just so hyped up and your parents are trying to calm you down and there's nothing that they can do because you're just so amped up? Well, this is happening. It's this kind of like mob mentality going on. They're not seeing any sense anymore. They're wild. They're reveling. You, you, you cannot stop a mob in a moment and say, stop people. And they'll go, okay. You know, there is momentum there. Exodus 20, 25, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their, to their enemies. It's like Proverbs 29, verse 18, that it says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Where there's no revelation of God, people do crazy stuff. Hands up if you've ever done crazy stuff when you feel that God's kind of far away from you, right? And so these are God's people who are miles away from God. And they're continuing to run in the opposite direction. Okay, this next verse is a pivotal moment. Uh, Exodus 20, uh, 32 verse 25, Exodus 32, 25, says this. Moses saw, um, oh, sorry, verse number 26. So, you know, the folks are going wild. Uh, they're becoming a laughing stock. Verse, verse 26. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Who was it that rallied to Moses? It was the Levites. These Levites who were under the command of Aaron the high priest. Aaron the high priest is the same Aaron the high priest who had facilitated the idol worship of the people who had made the golden calf for the people. 
and presumably with the help and the support of the Levites. Because for someone to melt down all this gold and to make a calf and to have a party and a big sacrificial system for a god, that's not a one-person job. You need to have a team around you. And so presumably with the support of the Levites, Aaron um, had this big party, including sacrifices and rituals for two to three million people. Right? And so when Moses says, whoever is for the Lord, come to me, and the Levites responded, I think that what was happening is that the Levites repented. And they started to turn around. And what is repentance, friends, except for a radical change of our direction that will ultimately lead to a change in our location? That's what repentance is. It's a change in our direction that leads to a new location. This happens in a moment, but this will take maybe a bit longer, maybe much longer. And so the Levites who were part of the problem are now part of the solution. And what we see in Exodus 32 is that this repentance kind of leads to this surgery. It's like... You know, if, if you have some flesh which is dead, the best thing that you can do is to cut that flesh off for the health of the whole body. If you don't cut out the dead flesh, it will infect and cause sickness in the rest of the body. And so the Levites become this scalpel in the hands of God. And it says that 3,000 people died at their hands with their swords. Now, like I said, this is surgery. This is 3,000 people out of 3 million people. So this is very specific. And we can assume that the 3,000 who died were the ones who were so far gone that there was no way back. They, they had made their choice. They'd hardened their hearts. And if they carried on in, in the camp, then their lo- locational sickness would infect and their directional rebellion would lead others astray. They had to be cut out. Exodus 32 verse 30 says this. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed the great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Verse 31. So Moses went back to the Lord, um, you know, up on the mountain and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me up. Block me out of the book that you've written. And I, I love this because Moses never minimizes their sin. He says it exactly as it was. It was atrocious. But neither does he man, minimize God's capacity to cleanse and to redeem and to forgive. Exodus 32 verse 33, the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I, will, I spoke of and my angel will, will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And then what happens next is 33 verse 1, God says to Moses, it's time to move on from Sinai, but I'm not going with you. Instead, I'm going to send my angel with you. And the people mourn. You see, they've already replaced God once. They know what that's like. And even though they replaced him with an idol, and now they would be 
having an angel instead of God. They don't want anything, anyone else except God himself. And so they mourn. And then God leaves things in Exodus chapter 3, 33 verse 6 by saying, Take off your ornaments, your jewelry, and I will decide whether to go with you. What a, what a sobering moment. What a sobering moment that he leaves them in that moment saying, you repent and I will see what I will do. And this brings us to this moment in the tent of meeting where it's now outside of the camp. And now we understand why. Now it makes sense. And so there's this scene change in verse 7 of chapter 33. And now we're inside the tent of meeting. We aren't up on the mountain anymore. We aren't in the camp. We're now outside of the camp in the tent of meeting where Moses is talking to God. Exodus 33 verse 10. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. Okay, so let's take stock of where everyone is. Moses is in the tent of meeting, talking to God. Why? Because he is locationally closer and directionally closer to God. That's where he, he chooses to be. And actually, it seems to me that this isn't just a special treat for Moses. It seems to me that anyone could have that place and that that. that Location, if they so choose, if they so chose. Because Exodus 33 verse 7 says, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, right? So it's, it's an offer that's open to everyone. But only Moses is there. Because the other people aren't there yet. Because they've repented, right? They're now pointing in the right direction. But they feel bad, and so they don't want to get too close. because and, and so there's still this kind of locational distance between them and God. And then it says in Exodus 33, verse, um, uh, verse, hold on a sec. Exodus 33, verse 11, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. That's not necessarily, you know, you know I, I always grew up thinking, wow, you know, wouldn't it be great to be, you know, Joshua? He's always there in the presence of God. But probably it was just that um, he was making sure that no one broke into the tent and did anything bad. So he's probably just there as a guard. But the point here from Moses inside the tent of meeting, inside you know, the tabernacle, is that we can have as of much of God as we can handle, as we choose. That's our choice. When our sins have been atoned for, when we've repented, I think it's great and we should rejoice that we're facing the right way. But let's not be satisfied with merely standing outside our tent and keeping God at a distance and looking towards God. Instead, let's press in like Moses so that we can get as much of God as we possibly can. Amen. And so, friends, if, if we did a spiritual inventory of each of us this morning, uh, we would find out that there are two extremes. There are those who are locationally and directionally far from God. That, that those are the ones who've replaced God with an idol. Maybe no one knows. Maybe no one knows except them. But that's what's happened 
These are the God replacers. Everyone say God replacers. Okay, these are the ones that have replaced God in their lives. But over here are the God face-to-faces. Everyone say God face-to-faces. You got the God replaces and the God face-to-faces. Every pastor needs to have something that rhymes. I think Shannon made some comment on this when she preached a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, and, and, and these God face-to-faces are the Moses types. These are the ones who cannot get enough of God. Uh, they, are, they, they are leaning into him. They are, they are pointed towards him, uh, and they get closer and closer to him. That's not that they don't ever sin, but their lives and their direction, their location is near to God. And these are the ones that speak with God as to a friend. And so we have the God replaces over here, and we have the God face-to-faces over here. And I wonder if either of these describes you this morning. See, most of us, I think, are probably somewhere in the middle, right? Maybe we're, we're close to God, but our lives are starting to maybe drift away a little bit. Maybe you're thinking, well, I've, you know, I've tried the God thing, I've prayed and I've waited, and God still hasn't shown up. I wonder what else is out there. Maybe it's time to try something else. Maybe it's try, time to try the golden calf. But friends, don't go there. Because Exodus 32, this sorry chapter in the story of the Israelites, starting, started with the people thinking that Moses was taking too long to come down the mountain. Really? Is, really? He, he, they, uh, they thought that he wasn't working on their time schedule. This God who'd sent the ten plagues, who'd parted the Red Sea, who'd provided food and drink, who'd established a covenant with them, who'd made a way for him to dwell in their midst. All they had to do was to wait for Moses to come down the mountain and God would be in their midst. He would have been there, but they were too impatient. And so instead of the glory of God in the middle of the camp, they had the glory of God outside the camp. In their eyes, God was taking too long but God knew the truth, right? He, he wasn't taking too long. They were too quick to turn away. So friends, if you're waiting on God, don't give up. Don't let yourself turn around and start to point the other way. Instead, keep pressing into him. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You've got to be strong and take heart because waiting isn't easy. Or maybe you're locationally far from God, but you're pointed in the right way. You know, just like the Israelites who, after repenting, worshipped from afar while Moses went into the tent of meeting outside the camp. Friends, if this is you, then don't stay there. Don't settle. Don't worship from afar. Instead, uh, like, you know, like the people in our passage today, anyone could go to the tent of meeting. Anyone was welcome to do that, but only Moses and Joshua took God up on his offer. So sometimes after we've repented, I don't know if you've ever experienced I experienced this, uh, but you feel shame and you feel maybe dirty and you, don't, and, and you don't feel worthy, right? Why would a holy God want me close, right? And so that shame can really keep us away from him. But, you know, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, bringing us right back to where he is, locationally and directionally close to him. If, If we come to God through Jesus Christ, there is nothing to stop us going right into the Holy of Holies except ourselves. You know, um, we, we read this in First John. It says, my dear children, I write to you so that you do not sin. He's saying, I'd like you to stay here, but if you do sin, if you do end up over here, then, um, then we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. First John chapter 2. And so, friends, if you're, if you're close to God this morning, but you know that you're prone to wander, to lose your, your focus, then my encouragement to you is to look at the cross, as we did in our communion, and to focus on Jesus and to fall in love with him again. See him hanging there. See him risen again and press in. Or maybe you've already drifted and you know it. You've replaced God with idols, with false gods, and even now you, you know, you're thinking, I know what that, that, what that false god is. I know what that idol, that golden calf in my life is. And, you're, and if, the, if this is you, if you're locationally far from God and directionally moving away from him, then stop. Stop this moment. If, if your heart is stirring this morning, it means that God is not done with you yet. It means that your heart is not hardened beyond repair. And if you come to him in humility, then God in his grace will receive you back. You can be like the prodigal son who comes to his senses and thinks, I want to get back to what I had before. Or maybe you have repented and you've started to move in the right direction. Don't stop. Keep on moving closer and closer because this is the God who loves you, who moved heaven and earth so that he could dwell with you because it's worth it. And so as, as I wrap up this morning, I want you to paint for you a picture of what the life looks like that is directionally pointed towards God and is locationally close to him, okay? I want to paint a picture for you from our passage today. Firstly, Moses shows us that you can speak with God face to face as a friend. If you're here You can speak with God face to face as a friend. And who doesn't want this? Secondly, you can be bold in your conversation with him. You can hold on to his promises just like Moses did, right? You know, the Lord said, I will send an angel with you. And Moses said, no, that's not enough. We want you. And God says, okay, I will go with you. And Moses says, no, I... I know you've said that you will go with us, but if you don't go with us, then please don't send us up from here, right? He pushes and he pushes, and then it ends up with God saying to Moses these incredible words. I will do the very thing you asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And I think what that shows us is that God loves bold prayers, right? He, he responds. And then the third thing, when we're in this place, is that not only can we speak with God face to face as a friend, not only can we ask him bold requests, but we can say this to him. We can say, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. 
Which, which, and what that means, friends, is, God, would you give me as much as I humanly can handle of you this side of eternity? I want everything. And here's what the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 33:19: I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Which is interesting, right? Because God, because Moses spoke with God face to face, that's what we read, but he wasn't allowed to see his face. And so friends, in Jesus Christ, we can speak with God face to face. We can press in that close. We can be bold with God by holding him to his promises. And we can ask God to show him, to show us his glory up until that moment when God says, that's enough. You can't handle anymore. Stop asking for more of me. Exodus 34, 34, and when Moses came out and told the Israelites, when he came out from the tent of meeting and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. And so as, as we dwell in God's glory, his glory rubs off on us. God's radiance becomes our reflected radiance. And actually for us, friends, that... After Jesus Christ, the news is even better. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 says this, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, listen to the picture this is painting. When anyone, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, right? Moses had to have a veil on his face, but this veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. We push in and in and in and it doesn't stop, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. If you're a God face-to-facer, there is no limit to how far you can go. As C.S. Lewis said, it's further up and further in further up and further in, and it just keeps on going. And so, if we're a God face-to-facer, our direction may not change, but our location changes every day as we move into God, because God is infinite. He's eternal, and his attributes, and his beauty, and his glory, and his wonder stretch on, and on, and on, and on, and we can never exhaust who he is. And so this morning, as we head into this new season, this new year, this new school year, may the prayer of Moses in Exodus thirty-three thirteen be our prayer. Let's pray. If you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Exodus 33, 13. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Amen.